go to the sixth psalm this morning. Psalm 6. Let me give you the, my title this morning, and, and I'm gonna, I have a brief message this morning because I was fearful if I could make it all the way through with my voice, and so I want to get to everything quickly today. But as we've been studying the Psalms, this morning I want to talk to you about from tears to triumph, from tears to triumph out of the sixth Psalm. Let's read these uh, 10 verses. Let me give you some background of what I have learned and give you a few thoughts this morning and hopefully challenge us all today. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is so also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make, my, make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. This is our eighth message in this series of messages that we've entitled, This is my story, this is my psalm. And we've been hopping around the psalms at different passages, different chapters, and wanting to find out a little bit about what's going on in each particular psalm. And as I was going through the psalms here recently, I was drawn to this sixth psalm. And looking into it, I learned that this is one of seven psalms that have been entitled penitential psalms. Uh, Another description of that, these are psalms of repentance confession, and humility. Let me list the other ones for you. You might want to write them down and compare them. Psalm 6, obviously, and the 32nd Psalm. Psalm 38. Psalm 51. Psalm 102. Psalm 130. And Psalm 143. Graham Scroggie is an author that I read. He has a book entitled A Guide to the Psalms. And he encourages us to, that we would read one of these psalms each day. As they are psalms of confession, repentance, and humility. And he would encourage us to read them and become familiar with these words. We're not certain of the specific events that are taking place in David's life, but you can read or or, or gauge by the reading of these opening verses that David has done something that he believes has uh, not only caused embarrassment amongst the wicked or amongst sinners, but also that the Lord would be displeased with him. Of course, there are several events in David's life that are recorded for us. Have you ever wondered if we were, we were the subject matter of Scripture, what God would choose to put in there? 
I mean, we think about, boy, think of the things David did and, and, and he was involved. I'm grateful that I don't have to have that in there and on public display. But David, there are several events of his life that we would call them low moments of his life, sinful moments of his life. 2 Samuel chapter 11 records for us David's laziness, which led to an illicit affair with Bathsheba and ultimately to the murder of her husband. Uh, in uh, 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, David is reared up with pride and he numbers the people. He, he commands a census just to get the number of the people and again in a prideful manner and God judged him for that. We also have several passages where David's absence as a father in the life of Absalom, Amnon, Tamar are on display for us. And so I don't know if it was one of these moments in reference to Psalm 6 or some other moment in his life, but it's a, it's a time of sin in his life and David is crying out to the Lord because of this moment in his life. And this event has caused David to be troubled physically. We see words mentioned in there, his bones and his, his flesh being weak. Uh, it's affected him emotionally and certainly spiritually. And it has caused the enemies of David to relish in his state. And it's hurt the testimony of the Lord. And so what David chooses to do is what we all should do when we find ourselves away from God. David humbles himself, and he reaches out to God for help. What keeps us from doing these things? It's our pride, isn't it? Our pride hinders us, our pride delays us, our pride keeps us from reaching out to God and leaning on God. Pride is an awful thing. We all must deal with it. We all must get control of it. We all must overcome the pride that we all have in our lives and humble ourselves and come before a holy and righteous God for help, for restoration. I've shared this illustration with you before, but I think it's been a little while and might be new to some of you, but one of my dear friends in the ministry is a pastor up in Hagerstown, Maryland, and we served together many years ago in New Hampshire. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, he had been there about five or six years longer or before we had gotten there. He had been the youth pastor and, and then had been elevated up to an associate's role there. And um, when we got there, they had two children. Uh, Rachel and I had just gotten married. We had no kids. They had two kids that were about four and two. And we really admired the way that they had brought up their children, were bringing up their children, and we would we would watch them and try to say those are the things we wanted to do with our kids. And, and then they had their third child. And um, uh, this, this third one was a handful, all right? And, uh, uh, and he was always giving them problems. His name was Mark. He's their youth pastor now at their church. And, uh, uh, and, he, uh, and then they had a fourth daughter a little bit later. But this, this story is about Mark. When he was about four years old, they were rushing all their kids to the minivan and getting them loaded up in there. And, and uh, uh, the, the dad's getting the, the, the youngest daughter hooked up into her car seat and everything. And while they're doing that, Mark was trying to get the seatbelt on. And you know how you get a seatbelt. If you pause anywhere along the way, it locks in place. 
And so Mark would get that seatbelt in his four-year-old arms and get it as far as he could, and it would lock before he could get it uh, buckled in there. And so he'd have to start over, and this was going on. And, and so Dad comes up and says, Mark, let me help you. And, and he reaches over him, and Mark did something. He grabbed the seatbelt, and he says, I can do it myself. Now, as a parent, you can choose to handle that in multiple ways. Uh, you, could, uh, you could immediately just squelch that right there and say, no, I'm going to take care of it. But he chose, uh, the dad chose a great way to handle this. He said, okay. And so he went and sat in the front seat, and the mom sat in the front seat, and they folded their arms, and they waited for the show. Because it went on and on and on. It was going on for several minutes. His brothers and sisters were like, Mark, just give up. Please ask Daddy for help. And he kept on saying, I can do it myself. And this went on for about 15 minutes as they all just sat in the car, sweating. Mark's sweating. Mark's crying. Mark's frustrated. And finally, Mark says this, Daddy, will you help me? He had to humble himself, didn't he? And many of us will go through our lives, I can do this myself, and we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, and God's waiting for you to say, God, will you help me? David comes to that point here in Psalm 6, and he cries out to God in his tears. But we're going to find out that this will end in a great triumph for David. The first seven verses cover the tears of David, and the verses 8 through 10 covers the triumph of David. This morning, I want to focus on the tears in this passage of Scripture. I don't know how you feel about tears, about crying. I can't hide it. I'm a crier. Uh, I'm an emotional guy. I get moved quickly and easily. I tear up quite a bit. Uh, remember, it used to be, I don't think they do it anymore, but it used to be uh, about two or three times a year, Hallmark would have a Sunday night movie. Anybody ever remember those after Sunday night church? You'd go home and there would be this great family-based movie that was always a tearjerker, plus all the Hallmark commercials that came with them. And my wife and kids used to predict how far or how long before dad's bawling over there. My hard-hearted wife and my hard-hearted boys would sit there and just watch me and, oh, it was 10 minutes and I win this, this one here. I mean, I would go through a box of tissues all by myself watching one of those movies and just being moved and, and touched by, by, by the great drama that was before me there. But tears and crying can be a good thing. In a very practical sense, it relieves pain, enhances your mood, releases toxins and relieves stress, aids sleep. Just the other day, uh, this last week was one year anniversary that I lost my mom. So what I put myself through one day while I'm driving in the car, I've saved voicemails from my mom on my phone. 
And I just sat there and I put it on the speaker and I listened to my mom's old voicemails driving down Miniville just bawling my eyes out. And I felt better after that. It was a good therapeutic thing for me. Now I've spent a few moments making light about tears, but let me ask you as I asked myself this past week, get this church, please don't miss this. When's the last time that we've been brought to tears about our sin? About our sin. You know, we can become quite casual about our sin. Honestly, too casual about our sin. And if you're not careful, that casualness will lead to callousness about our sin. We'll become hardened about it. Let me remind you that sin divides, sin blocks, sin hinders, sin limits, and sin hurts our relationship, our fellowship with God. And David, I believe, recognizes what sin has done in this passage of Scripture, scripture, and it moves him to tears. We first of all see in verse number one, these are tears of sorrow. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Again, I'm not certain what the particular sin or moment is that has caused David to respond in this fashion, but no doubt David is sensing and feeling the chastening hand of the Lord upon him. He speaks here of the anger of the Lord, the chastening. To, to, to neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Now like many children that are experiencing the chastening hand of a parent, David seems to forget the love that is behind that chastisement. Let me remind you that Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6 says this, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. We see that This chastening of the Lord is motivated by the love of the Lord and is motivated by the relationship of the Lord. David was his son. David was his child. And as any good father would do that loves their children, there will be chastisement when it is necessary. David seems to have a better handle on chastisement in one of these other penitent psalms. Look at Psalm 51. Verses 1 through 4. This is a psalm that is written after David has committed his great sin with Bathsheba. We perhaps will study this psalm at a later time, but notice David's response in the first four verses here. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David begins with tears of sorrow. We see these are tears of anguish also in Psalm 6. Notice verse 2 through 7 again. 
David says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak, O Lord. Heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night I make my... I, Excuse me, make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Anguish, tears of anguish. Anguish means severe mental or physical pain or suffering. And David seems to begin, uh, again, suffering emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We all have felt the effects of sin, of being separated from God. Sin can bring us down emotionally. And it's amazing that we can be involved in sin in such a fashion that it can make us physically ill. And David is feeling all of this. This is a time of anguish in his life. But the greatest consequence is the spiritual consequence. Separation. Separation from the Father. He has tears of sorrow, tears of anguish. There are tears of repentance. David says in verse 2, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. Verse 3, O Lord, how long? Verse number 4, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Excuse me for just a moment. of repentance like any good parent God does not chastise because he takes pleasure in inflicting pain upon one of his dear children no the Lord loves his children enough to chastise us so that we will no longer participate in that sin and turn back to the Lord and turn away from that sin (coughs) we see this in David's life here as he repents in tears. And that leads to the final three verses, tears of joy. Tears of sorrow, tears of anguish, tears of repentance, tears of joy. David says, depart from me all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. David's voice changes in verses 8 through 10. He recognizes that the Lord has heard and responded to his prayer. And David goes from these tears to triumph. (coughs) I read an illustration this past week that I want to share with you today, close out my thoughts to you today. It's about an evangelist back in the 1940s, the late 1940s. And he was a traveling evangelist, went from place to place, and he got on a passenger train one day to make his next destination. And as he walked down the aisle of that train, he took his window seat, and it happened to be next to a young man, probably in his early 20s, he thought. And this pastor, this evangelist, began to make conversation with this young man. And 
and in their conversation shared with him what he did as he traveled from place to place. And as he began to share his story with this young man, the young man began to tear up. And so the evangelist paused his conversation, and then he looked at the young man. He said, son, is there anything I could help you with? And this young man, this 20-year-old, began to tell the evangelist a little bit of his story. He said, "Um, about three or four years ago, I got into a really rebellious streak at my home. I began arguing with my parents about everything and fighting them about everything. And, and he goes, three years ago, one of those nights it ended with me striking my father in the face. And my father told me that evening that if I was going to live this way, I had to leave the house. And I gladly walked away from that home that evening. And he goes, for the last three years, I've been running around the country, trying to live a life, trying to find happiness. And he goes, but three weeks ago, he goes, I got right with the Lord. I gave my heart back to the Lord Jesus, and I've gotten right with God. And he said, I'm on my way home. He goes, I wrote my parents three weeks ago, and I told them what I was what had happened to me and how I'd gotten right with God. And I said, I'd like to come home and make things right with Dad and Mom. He says, we're almost to my town. My parents live on the outskirts of town, and the tracks go right past our house. And I told my parents that if they want me to come back home, if they'll have me, to put a white handkerchief in the apple tree nearest the train tracks. And if I see that white handkerchief, I'll know that my parents want me back home. And the evangelist says, son, this is wonderful. This is great. He goes, but sir, I'm really nervous that there's not going to be a handkerchief in that tree. He says, I don't even know if I can look. He goes, would you mind? He goes, we're going to be there within a minute. Would you mind looking out the window for me? And this young man put his head down. And as they got closer, they went past the house and past the apple tree. And the evangelist said this. Let me get it here. The evangelist agreed, and as he passed the yard, he delivered this message. Son, you don't have to worry. I just saw an apple tree with hundreds of white handkerchiefs hanging on it. And a man and woman standing next to the tree with a large white sheet that said, Son, come home. We love you. And that young man was able to make his way home to parents that had forgiven him. I can say with great confidence this morning, whether you are away from the Lord right now or you've ever been away from the Lord, the Lord's waiting you right now, saying, come home. Come home. You can start this morning with tears, but you can end in triumph. 
These tears of sorrow, tears of anguish, tears of repentance can be tears of joy. But it's going to start with us humbling ourselves. And so I ask you again today, when's the last time you've cried about your sin? Shed tears for your sin and what sin does. And I'd encourage us all today to humble ourselves and come home to a God that is waiting for you, looking for you, wanting you today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? (coughs) As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Where are you today? Are you away from the Lord? Have you been away from the Lord? The Lord's waiting for you this morning. He's got a scripture full of verses that tells you how much He loves you, and He wants you, and He's looking for you. But it takes us to humble ourselves, admit these things, and turn ourselves back to the Lord today. Father, I pray that you take this invitation for these few moments. Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts. And Lord, that you would uh, help us to humble ourselves, God, and to turn ourselves back to you once again. Lord, I pray for that person that may be far away from you this morning. Lord, that today they would come back home. I pray for that person that perhaps has spent a season away from you, Lord, but is, is making their way home, Lord, that you'd encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, help us all to have a distaste in our hearts and our lives for sin, to turn from it, to reject it, to, to repent of it, Lord, and to turn to you. So, Lord, we ask you to take these few moments in this invitation. Help us to be obedient to you in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you stand today there at your pew? As the pianist begins to play today, if the Lord has spoke to your heart, the altar is available for you today, come on home. Come and find a Savior that's waiting for you today, looking for you today, anticipating you today. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, Oh, how we'd love to share that truth with you this morning. Would you do business with the Lord today?